Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. If you're anything like Sayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Sayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today we have a returning guest with us today, Michael Stoller. And he has been focusing on hoteling and the different aspects of it. So I'm really excited to have him back onto the show talking about a little bit more about how he values different types of hotels and looking at different opportunities. His last episode that he was on was episode 310, which he talked about why he enjoys hotels, the different markets that he's looking at, and then how he sees the future of hotels coming forward. So be sure to check that one out if you guys get a chance. So Mike, thank you for coming back on the show today. It's a pleasure, Eileen. Thank you. So for those who haven't listened to that last episode, could you just give a brief overview of your background? Yeah. you know, I started out in uh, single family homes way back in the day. I call it the PG days, the pre-Google days, and absolutely failed. You know, that's something that a lot of investors that come on podcasts, they never talk about the failures. They always talk about, yeah, look at me and look what I'm doing and look how big I am and, and all this exciting stuff. But you learn from those failures. And man, I failed so bad. It's so bad that we had to sell the house, move into my wife's parents. And, you know, it was just like, but I knew the real estate was it. So fast forward, you know, I kind of stuck with it. I took like a decade off just to, it took me that long. But then uh, we started back into it. Fourplex turned into an eightplex and turned into, and it just started rolling. And then we had, uh, Man, in the seven-year process, you know, now we have 20 single-family homes, a couple hotels. I've uh, owner managed about 1,300 multifamily units. So I kind of went nuts, you know, the second time around. So that's kind of the the background, real quick version. Yeah, absolutely. It's so interesting how people handle failures in different ways. You know, you can take a look at failures Mm -hmm. as a way to learn and adjust, or you can really let it consume you. And so it's really great that you've been able to really take a look at what you did wrong last time, how you're able to learn it, adjust it, and then change your game plan for the future. And and you've done such an incredible job for yourself so far. Thank you. So I'd love to talk a little bit about and deep dive a little bit about how you value hotels. And when you take a look at a different property, like what are specific things that you look for? So I guess from a top overview, as you're getting deals, getting deals coming your way at the first glance, what is the first thing that you look at that actually allows you to, you know, deep dive and go into a little bit more details that makes it look a little bit interesting for you to take a look at in more details? Mm -hmm. Well, there's a couple of things and it's funny. It's pre-COVID was something else. Now during COVID and as we come out of COVID, we've changed. And that's another the learning point. You can sit there and say, oh my God, COVID, which is okay on a personal level, but on a business level, we sit there and say, okay, how can I adjust? I'm not going to let COVID defeat me, right? I'm not going to let no one traveling and things like that. I'm still going to stick with it. So we have changed. So from, 
I get all these hotels that, that come at me, auctions and, and brokers, things like that. First, I look, is it is it a flag? A flag means, is it a franchise? Is it a, a Marriott or a Hilton or Radisson or Choice Hotels? Which What one is it? And then I look at, where is it? Something that COVID has taught me is one of the first things I look at is what state is it in and what jurisdiction is it in and how friendly is that state towards owners or hospitality or just small businesses. And I looked at COVID, you know, it's like, did they immediately shut all the small businesses down? There was no essential businesses. And then I have to think, it's like, okay, do I want a hotel that if COVID point two oh 2.0 happens, do I want a hotel that's going to be shut down for I mean, you know, how many months or whatever? Or do I want to look at a jurisdiction or a state that said, you know what, hospitality, some restaurants, you know, even though we may restrict you a little bit, you're an essential business and you're going to stay open. So that's another thing that I've learned through COVID that I'm going to look at. I'm going to, from now on, stick with the states that are business friendly. Then in the hospitality business, we look at what's called drivers. Drivers meaning what drives someone to stay at this hotel. And another thing with COVID as well, I've kind of upped it. Instead of, I'd look at a hotel that was next to a university. Well, past year and a half, they've done a lot of homeschooling, right? In the universities and schools, uh, they stayed at home. So that's not maybe the necessary, the best thing. So you need more than one driver. So I'm going to look at three drivers. Is it near a highway? Does it maybe have truck driver parking? Is it close to events or a university or something like So I need three different things. So in case one goes away, I still have a couple other things. Some of the hotels that we had that really, really did well were outside of a major metro next to a big highway because the essential workers, the thing that kept us going during COVID was the truck drivers, right? And they were overworked. They're just busting their butts, getting us the goods and services that we needed and they needed a place. So off the highway, truck driver parking, something that they could spend the night. So that's another thing I look at is what kind of things, where's that hotel located? And then finally, I look at the type of hotel. Another thing pre-COVID, you know, I'd look at maybe full service. I'd look at some, does it have conference rooms and restaurants and a bar? Now I don't care about any of that because all that disappeared, right? Again. So we kind of look at limited service or extended stay. Limited service meaning, you know, you free breakfast, you're free Wi-Fi, and then you're gone. It's limited services. And those have fewer expenses. So I look at that also. So those are some of the things that off the top, I kind of check down. Got it. And so... As a hotel, I think last time we kind of mentioned it a little bit, you're really running it as a small business. And mm-hmm. so when you're actually putting it into operations, you know, what are some of the different factors that you have to consider as you're actually managing and running the hotel? I look at number one, if it is a flag, is a franchise, is that franchise or that hotel to that franchise's standards as far as decor, services, amenities how it looks is every five to seven years or so. It's kind of like you look at McDonald's, it seems like every five years, it looks different. They kind of completely do the inside and do a refresh. The hotels do that also. So I look at, is there an opportunity? Maybe it's kind of run down and they haven't really been keeping up the rehab. We call it the PIP, keeping up all the stuff. And it's something that maybe I can come in, put half a million dollars into it or whatever, and then 
we'll be able to raise the daily rates. I look at the competitor set, who's around me, especially the ones that will compete in the same type of segment. What are they doing? How are they doing? What kind of business are they getting? Are they getting corporate? Are they getting travel teams? Is it the families? So I look at that. And then I go in and how strong is the management? And it's kind of like the same with multifamily. And I look at, you know, the vendors, can I save some money there? And then how strong is the employee base? And that's something that now I really, really have to look at because of the employment issues that we're having in the United States today. If I go in and look at it, well, how strong is the employment market in in that city, in that area? And can I count on the employees to show up? Can I keep a full staff? And in the restaurant business and the hotel business, you know, that's something we're really, really struggling with today is, is keeping employees. We have employees that just don't show up because they don't have to. And I've had some of them tell me, so, well, what are you going to do? Fire me? You can't find anyone else. And you're like, oh my God, you know, <laughs> last year I would have fired you, you know, but it's just something we're really struggling with. So I look at that base, that market and how strong, where's the unemployment rates. And it's just some of the things that we have to factor in now. And then is it seasonal? So there's just all these things that, you know, with multifamily, you just, you have people in there for six months, a year. Now I look at, are people going to be coming to that hotel all year round or is it a seasonal thing? So it's just a lot of different little variables that we have to look at as a small business. And then also with the state and government, how good are they with the Small Business Administration, the SBA? How do they handle the small businesses within the state, you know, the city, all that? Got it. And so like from a management standpoint, are you managing all the hotels yourself? So are you doing staff retention, doing the interviews, hiring and all that stuff? Or within multifamily, we have property managers who are helping mm -hmm. us find the tenants, putting them in place, doing the maintenance and repairs. Is there someone similar to that in the hotel business? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have general managers of the hotel. So each hotel has a, uh, a general manager. And then depending on the size of the hotel, we actually have a sales and marketing person, you know, a, a front desk manager. Uh, if it's a little bit bigger, we'll have even a housekeeping supervisor. So we have supervisors and a GM in place and the GM's responsible over the whole hotel. And then each person's with the departments. So as an owner, we just have to you try to get it just like in multifamily where I'm making the high level decisions. You know, you can't spend X amount of dollars without letting me know. We have weekly meetings or biweekly meetings. We have sales and marketing meetings. So I'm just kind of, I come in on some of the high topic meetings just to make sure every, all the, the gears are turning. And that's where you really want to get to. And it's very, very important, just like in multifamily to have that, a very strong manager. So when you're actually doing your underwriting and looking to create or, and to value this hotel, in terms of renovation costs, or I think mm -hmm. what you call it a PIP, mm -hmm. how much do you typically allocate per per door for the hotel unit? And then how much contingency do you typically keep on top of it to mm -hmm. make it a conservative or just to make sure that your guys are covered? Yeah, great question. So what's nice about having a franchise hotel is... Marriott or Hilton or Radisson, whoever it is, they'll actually come to the property prior to close and they'll tell me, this is your PIP. This is what you have to do. So I kind of know ahead of time how much money and well, then it's, you know, it's up to me to go to the vendors and, and the people that I have and say, okay, how much is all this going to cost me? So prior to close, I will know. It's not like a multifamily where you're kind of, well, I think thousand the door. I don't know what it's going to cost me. And 
well, actually, no. And that cost could be the last hotel we purchased, it was around $400,000 is what we had to put into it to get it up to Radisson's, it's called the Gen 4 package for this country in a suite. So to get to their standard, that next generation of what it's supposed to look like, it was going to cost us $400,000. So then what do we do? Hey, seller, guess what you're about to do? You're going to discount the hotel $400,000, right? Or else you can do, there's a reason why you didn't do the improvements. It's because you can't afford it. Well, now you're going to take it off on this end. So we kind of know that. And then I like to have a couple hundred thousand dollars just in capital reserves, just in case something like COVID happens, just in case there are surprises. So yeah, I know it's, you know, they're bigger numbers, but we're talking bigger properties. So I, I want at least two, three months reserves. And I tried to keep that all the time, even before we give out any any money to the investors. I'm not giving anything out unless I have two to three months reserves. And then what's left over gets funneled out to the investors. But that's, you have to have, you cannot sacrifice reserves because you never know. None of us expected something like COVID. You know, when we, when I did my, in the hotel business, or any type of business, you do what's called a stress test on the asset. So before I buy something, I look at what it's doing now. And then I say, and what's funny is all the stress tests were kind of based on the 2007-2008 recession. So we had no idea that something like COVID was going to happen. So what you do is I stressed it. It's like how much occupancy, how much ADR, which is our daily rates, how much can I stress this hotel in order for it to still, and it's these big calculations that we, calculation that we do to sit there and say, okay, I can go down to 42% occupancy at, at this rate to still break even. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. Got it. And so like when we're actually going to purchase a hotel, that's a flag or it's under like a Marriott franchise, Mm -hmm. does Marriott or Radisson or those parent companies, are they involved in the purchase and sales of when you exchange from one owner to the next owner? Yeah. So Marriott or any flag, they have to actually approve you as an owner. And so they do an entire application. They do their background checks. They want to know that you have experience because what Marriott is not going to do is give their name to someone who's going to run the, the hotel under the ground. So they have to do their own things as long as the bank, it's a, to close a hotel, it's six, seven, eight months sometimes. I mean, it's a long, long process because not only am I dealing with maybe the government with an SBA 
or a regular bank, but now I'm negotiating with the owners, I'm negotiating with some of the vendors, and now I'm negotiating with the actual franchise. And it's just this really long process. But I mean, it's worth it. It's just, you know, there's a long, and what's good is it allows me to do a lot of due diligence. It's a long time. Got it. And so how about like, as guests come into the hotel and they leave, how much is a typical like turnover cost within the <laughs> hotel? <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's really good. That's the thing, you know, with multifamily, you have someone that leaves, well, you clean the carpet paint, there's some things that you have to do, and it could cost you hundreds of dollars, right? I have a professional staff. And these people, all they do is housekeeping. And so someone leaves and within 15 minutes, I'm ready to re-rent it. Then boom, they go in and they can do sometimes, you know, 12 to 15 rooms, you know, within an hour, within, it's an amazing process that they do. And they just have their checklist and COVID's made it a little bit longer because we have sanitized, we have to do some other things. But it's not very much money at all. And we have preventive maintenance. Main, you know, we have the maintenance guys. It's just, and then the someone is checking the room. But it's very, very, very cost efficient. So with the flags, do they have uh, set rules of thumbs of how an efficient hotel should be operating in terms of expenses? Well, no, not with expenses. I think it's the other way. Or with actually. the income? <laughs> well, it's the, well, it's. With the flag, you actually have to force to use certain vendors. And these vendors know that they're exclusive. They have monopoly on all the Marriott's or all the Hilton's or whatever. So it's actually not cost efficient because they jack the rates up because they know that we're held hostage with them. So we have to use this certain person for breakfast. We have to use this certain person for our IT you know, or the software. So it's not that cost efficient. What the flags do is, the franchises do is, we have to have, it has to look the same. Everyone has to kind of talk the same as far as the front desk. Uh, We have kind of like standards and procedures, more or less, of how we act and how we go about and how we clean, how the everything looks as far as the food preparation and how it's laid out. So they have those type of of rules and regulations. Uh, We have to have a certain amount of toiletries in. We have to have a certain amount of channels on the cable TV. So it's just those types of things that we have to do. We have to comply with as far as expenses and things like that. It's up to us to make money and stay open. But so they don't care about the expenses income. That's on us. So then how do you, after you operate and you create these efficiencies, how is a typical deal structured for the investor in the hotels? Yeah, I'm always going to say it's it's a deal to deal situation, depending on the size of it, how much down. But typically what we do is like with a syndication, they're typical syndications. You're going to get a preferred return. And a preferred return means if you put in $500,000 and I give you a 10 to 15% preferred return, you're going to get all the investors going to get that return up front before any of the other money is released. And you're going to get that 10 to 15% preferred return until your investment's now down to zero. Okay, so you're going to get that 15% of 500,000 until I've given you the $500,000 back. And then if there's any money left over, then split 80% 
to the investor and then 20% to the owner. Does that make sense? Yes. And then there's some waterfall things. If I'm a rock star and I have this big return, then it'll flip. You know, So there's some types, a couple waterfall, one or two waterfalls in there, usually just one. Because I can't keep, I won't be able to keep track of all that stuff. And then at the end, again, it's 80 20. And then typically, like on some of the hotels, uh, we'll say that you get like uh, 2.3 times your money back. Most of the hotels, because their businesses, they're like a seven year hold. I have the ability to sell at five, I have the ability to hold it till 10. Maybe with COVID, some of the hotels, you know, we need to maybe keep them because we kind of suffered. And then it'll take us a couple of years maybe to rebound to get us back up to. 2019 level. So we may have to hold hotel a little bit longer. And then it's, you know, it's 80, 20 again, and then they get the money. The whole thing is the investors need the most money. They're the ones putting the money in. We need to take care of the investors. So from an exit strategy, you said it's typically like a seven-year hold. How do you, at what point in the business does it make sense to sell? And, and then what is left for, you know, what's the incentive for the next buyer to come in and take over the hotel? Yeah. So what we do is it's, Hotels are two factors. You have a business, which is the hotel, and then you have the real estate, which is the land. Sometimes, and I have one hotel that this may be the case, that the land will actually become more valuable than the hotel. And that'll be the kind of the end goal is someone's going to come in, give us $8 million for that land, shovel the hotel and put a, a high rise or you know something up in it. So that's a play. If someone comes up, once we get to the point where the preferred returns are done and we're just kind of rolling and I'm able to sit there and say, okay, we did $2 million last year. Now we're at 2.3. Now we're at 0.5. Now we're at 2.8. We're getting the revenues up or the gross income up. Then it becomes viable to sell it for like a $3 million profit or $4 million profit. But until I can get to that point to where I know that the investor is going to get that 2.3 times their, their investment back. And then, just, you know, it's a decision. Uh, and there's a couple of decisions that we can do. I could, once we get to that point, I could refinance it myself, pay the investors off and keep the hotel. That's something I could just roll it into my portfolio. I have some investors that want a longer, they don't want the money back. They want a 10, 15 year, they, they want somewhere to park their money. So we have some, it's like, okay, we'll pay off half the investors and then some of them come on. And those that want to come on, stay on, we'll refinance it again and then keep it, you know, for another 10 years or so. Or we can get to the point where someone comes in and say, hey, I'll give you X amount of dollars for it. And you're like, yeah, I can't pass that up. you know. And then we cash out, we sell it, and then we go on to the next one. There's a couple strategies there. Got it. So there's also one thing that you mentioned earlier was it seems like there's some sort of barrier to entry if you want to own a hotel, because if you want to do mm -hmm. a flag, especially because you have to go through an application mm -hmm. process, they have to look at your background to see if you're qualified. What type of experience typically do they look for if you're wanting to go purchase a hotel? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they really want minimum. They want you to own a hotel, not just general manager or anything like that, just running one. They'd love to see like three years experience minimum, especially the banks also, the banks aren't going to give someone five to $10 million because you have experience in multifamily or flipping houses. You know, they're just like, going, why would we do that? Right. So what I did on my very first hotel, 
I can't remember if I mentioned this in, in the first episode or not. I wanted a hotel. So I found someone had 15 years experience. And I said, hey, you know, how would you like to partner up? I'll give you a piece of the action, you know, the ownership. And because in order for me to buy the hotel, he had to be on the note. He had to be on the franchise paperwork. They wouldn't take me. It's like, I've got 20 years experience in multifamily. Don't care. Hotels are, is a business. It's not multifamily. It's nothing, nothing like it. And so I had to go in and agree with this guy. He'd help me run the operations. He had to be on the note. But for him to also do a personal guarantee on the note, he wanted a piece of the action, which is it was worth it to me. And in exchange, he taught me everything that I now know about hospitality. So it was a win-win for both of us. Got it. Yeah, absolutely. To be able to partnership partner with somebody experienced in the area can definitely mm-hmm. shorten your learning curve significantly. It is. Yeah. Getting a mentor, ladies and gentlemen, if you're used to fix and flips and you've done fourplexes, things like it, and now you want to get into a larger multifamily, it's a big jump. So I will always tell all of my students, I will tell everyone on my podcast, get a coach, get a mentor, get someone so that you don't make mistakes. Because there's two ways that you can spend your money. You can spend it on learning and succeed, hopefully, or you can spend your money, do it on your own and lose. So the odds, the dice roll is that you spend it on knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. I would, I totally agree with that. It's building up your strong foundation for yourself because if anything happens later down the road, at least you've built up your education base, your knowledge. And so you're able to make more educated decisions later down the road to minimize Mm -hmm. the risks that come up. That's right. Absolutely. So Michael, thank you so much for joining on the show today. And again, as a returning guest and sharing a little bit more about hotels, there's so much that goes into there, but it was very different than typical real estate since you're operating, not just guests that are coming in, but you're operating the other aspects of the business. You're doing the training and everything like that as well. There's a lot of components that goes into hoteling. So thank you so much for sharing all of that. You're welcome. It was a pleasure being back on. So Mike, if our listeners wanted to find out more about you and your business, where's the best place that mm-hmm. they can go? You can always find me on LinkedIn under Michael Stoller. It's S-T-O-H-L-E-R. And my website is gatewaype, as in private equity, gatewaype.com. Awesome. Thank you so much again, Michael. Thank you. Bye-bye. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonifestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.